Welcome to episode four of Zion, Consciousness and Covenant. I'm Andy Rasmussen, joined as always by Felice Austin. Early in the morning. Morning, Felice. Morning, Satnam. Satnam. Let me turn my headphones down or we're going to blow me up. Well, it's, uh, we've had some rocky starts here getting this one on the air. Took a week off. Lots of stuff going on. And then changed the topic. <laughs> yeah. It's all good. God's in charge. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are. So um, <clears throat> tell us, Andy, what are we talking about today? A <laughs> couple of ways we wanted to go. The... Um, at first, we were thinking we would define consciousness and covenant, both of those being obviously in the title of the podcast. And uh, had some really neat ideas, both of us in kind of collaborating on a Google Doc, and uh, dis- and then just kind of decided we would back off that. It was really pretty intense stuff, and uh, just kind of give some basics, uh, concepts. Mr. Deep. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about... Let's- yeah, let's start with the basics. I mean, I don't know. Sometimes the most deepest truths are really embedded in the simplest things. So, In fact, almost always, I think. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about the fall. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to jump in, and I think with this one, too, we can get to some of the uh, concepts of consciousness and covenant because it comes from... You know, the three pillars of eternity, as Elder McConkie used to call them, are the creation, the fall, and the atonement. Uh-huh. And uh, this year we're doing Old Testament and Gospel Doctrine. Again, this podcast uh, for members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Anybody who wants to listen to it, obviously. But uh, the references will make, uh, will be, will make sense to Mormons. But, um, uh-huh. so we're starting at the Old Testament, and that's the, uh, the creation, and now this week. The lesson is the fall, mm-hmm. and uh, and and then how the atonement addresses those those issues of the fall. And this is something that much of the world uh, doesn't understand at all. Police, it's, uh, <laughs> they condemn Eve. They consider the fall uh, in the Garden of Eden a terrible mistake. Really, something mm-hmm. that went went wrong because of the uh, headstrong nature of woman and then of man. <laughs> yeah. What's wrong with that? Oh, I don't know. Lots of things. Um, the fall... You know I love words, Andy, right? Yes. And the the thing about the fall is we always think of it as a story, as a drama, you know? And um, But if you think about the actual word fall, the fall, like why do we call it the fall? It's even capitalized in the manual in the you know in the study manual the fall and so um i like to talk about what fall means like some people say well they fell from grace they fell from the presence of god but even that's still an idiom you know it's not the literal use of the word the literal use of the word fall is like to drop down like something that's high falls lower and i think that that is a really good place to start when we talk about the fall, and that something literal did fall, right? Yes. You know what I'm getting at? <laughs> I do know where you're going. I wonder if... No, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I mean, their consciousness fell. They were talking and walking with God, 
And regardless of, you know, whether it was right or wrong, we can go there if we want to. But um, I think it was all part of the plan. And Eve took this fruit and Adam with her, he, you know, agreed to hearken to her and so they could have children. But anyways, the point is, is once they took that fruit, their consciousness literally fell. Like they used to be up in the lofty sort of heights and they didn't really... And then, and then suddenly it was very low. It was very earthly. It was concerned with things like survival, things of this earth. Things of, if we want to speak in, in new agey terms, which is this, this podcast does, the consciousness fell from really living in and dominating the higher chakras mm-hmm. to the lower like yeah. I said, dealing less with inspiration and enlightenment and more with mm-hmm. just surviving. Right. And that's where the, and we're going to take a lot of the text from, uh, from Moses 4 today, which is, of course, uh, Joseph Smith's translation of the book of Genesis. Moses mm-hmm. 4 and 5, really. And, it, you know, he talks in there, well, a number of things. Well, let's start here. You mentioned um, they made the decision to have children. And, of course, that's something that's really, that's really clarifying. We find in Second Nephi 2 when and Lehi is talking, and he talks about that. He says, um, if, man, if, if they hadn't fallen, they would never have had children. And then the verse that sets us apart from all of Christianity and really all the world in, in some of these, uh, these stories is Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy, implying, not mm-hmm. even implying, explicitly stating that those... Uh, Without falling, they would not have had joy. Not have had the opportunity right. for joy. Well, when they fell, um, you know, opposition was introduced, introduced into the world. The opposites, the law of opposites. Um, and I wrote a I wrote a blog post about this, and it was sort of a huge aha for me, actually, that helped me to understand the fall. And that is that. Um, you know, they always say there must needs be an opposition in all things, you know, in this life. Um, and I was like, well, you know, I've always sort of struggled with all that. I don't like opposites. But I'm realizing that even the um, even the opposites, even the, the suffering or the, you know, the, the sorrow and all that, it's um, both are sacred and, and the actual sort of the... Um, paradox is that it's that energy that's created by those opposites that can help us up level and return to God. But um, let's talk, I feel like I'm getting off track. Do you want to talk a little bit about the atonement? I do. Well, I, I want to take it a little bit uh, sequentially. Since, okay. To be honest, I'm teaching this lesson in a couple of hours and I'd like to. <laughs> so what comes next? I'd like to Should dry I run it. <laughs> well, in, in starting in Moses 4, the, uh, because we're, Man, there's so much good stuff to get to here that you just mentioned. But Satan uh, puts it into the heart of the serpent. Uh, mm-hmm. for the, he sought also to beguile Eve, and he knew not mm-hmm. the mind of God. Wherefore, he mm-hmm. sought to destroy the world. So that's what he was attempting to do. And he was attempting, we've, uh, when in introducing, giving the fruit, offering it to Adam first, and then he wouldn't take it going to Eve. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't doing anything that was wrong in introducing the fruit that, in fact, had been done in other worlds. And there's lots of now scholarship on the tree of life versus the tree of knowledge, the tree of knowledge being the veil to the tree of life representing the presence of God and eternal life and the Holy of Holies, if you want to take a temple motif and everything. And uh-huh. uh, so what Satan was doing was <clears throat> giving them the, the, the fruit of knowledge 
mm-hmm. and uh, thus introducing them at the veil, quite literally. Uh, and then presumably then uh, to help have them partake of the fruit of the tree of life when they weren't ready. None of that was wrong. It was all part of the plan, but it was not Satan's place to do so or the time appointed to do so. And that, I think, gets to a, something we should keep in mind all throughout as far as the mission of, uh, well, the mission, the um, strategies of Satan. He volunteered um, at the uh-huh. beginning to be the only begotten. And he's still trying to be in every way he can and in every way he can uh-huh. counterfeit. And uh-huh. the first of that was to give this fruit, which was not his, his to give. So uh-huh. anyway, that's, that's something to start off. But I wanted to read, start with this quote and get your thought on it from Elder Woodso. Uh, he said, Satan was present to tempt Adam and Eve, much as he would try to thwart others in their divine missions. And uh, he said, Eve faced choice, faced the choice. Uh, consciously, knowingly, between selfish ease and unselfishly facing tribulation and death. As befit her calling, she realized that there was no other way and deliberately chose mortal life and to start a family so as to further the purposes of God and bring children into the world. That's that's what I wanted to talk about first off, is the idea that this was a choice to forego a life of, of individual ease and to start a family because that was the purpose she was there for. Now, once introduced mm-hmm. to the idea, it was, it, was, it was incredibly painful because it meant leaving the garden. It meant falling consciousness, falling from the presence of God. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the conscious choice she made in that moment. And I liken it rather than a mistake, mm-hmm. which we often think of it as uh, even in, even in Mormonism. How about it? Thinking of it, maybe in terms, and this is—I'm just throwing this out there—but in terms of an Abrahamic type sacrifice, knowing that this was the higher law, this was the higher purpose for their creation was to have children, mm-hmm. kick off this whole plan, give everybody bodies. She made that decision without the knowledge, the pre-knowledge of uh, um, that there would be a savior. Like she thought, yeah, she didn't know. It was like Abraham well, taking Isaac up, not knowing what, how this yeah. would work out. <laughs> I think that's a great metaphor. Um, in our book, The Gift of Giving Life, so one that I wrote with my wonderful collaborators, yeah. Heather has a wonderful essay about Eve, and she talks about the Hebrew meaning of the word beguiled. Yes. And it doesn't it doesn't mean tricked. It doesn't mean deceived. Um, in Hebrew, it's actually a really rare verb that indicates an intense, multi-level experience evoking great emotional, psychological, and or spiritual trauma. So um, her beguiling, it was... It was the catalyst, you know, that caused her to ponder and evaluate her role. And a lot of times we think of Eve and Adam as, like, just completely stupid, <laughs> like walking around like little children, meaning yeah. that they had no they had no powers of, you know, thinking or, or thought. And, and in, in, in a way, I think that that's, that's not true. I think that she may have had a flash of inspiration, you know, from her, sure. her heavenly father or heavenly mother that helped her to know that this was what needed to happen. Now, you're right. She didn't know that there would be a Savior, which makes it even more of a brave choice and a selfless choice. And so to, you know, we've had a lot of brethren talk recently, and and President Faust, uh, most famously in 99, his October conference talk, on how we need to honor Eve 
and all, mm-hmm. and, and I think even even more than that, honor, glory, and honor. It was, uh, and this is the word. This is again the choice that daughters of Eve and sons of Adam continue to face: is uh, are they going to stay in this realm of uh, I can do anything I want, <laughs> the the selfish ease, or mm-hmm. are we going to get together and start a family and uh, all that that means and all the the self sacrifice that that means and everything else. And mm-hmm. thus become like the gods. I mean, the metaphors are layers deep there, are they not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I like what you were saying about how Satan, he, what he did wasn't necessarily wrong. But he, you know, he didn't know the mind of God. He thought he was going to destroy the world. Yeah. Of course, God's plans can never be thwarted. But it's interesting how Satan will often try to, try to get us to do things that aren't necessarily wrong. They're just in the wrong order. Yeah, very well well said, and uh, or looks similar. Um, everything he does is a direct counterfeit. If he can't deceive you into uh, doing something that just completely takes you away from God, uh, whatever you know, the, the simple things, the drugs or the immorality or whatever, <clears throat> he will deceive you into think or try to deceive you into thinking that he is God or his plan is is. And of course, he can appear as an angel of light and all this. And and he did that mm-hmm. uh, after they left the garden. We have these types in all things. Mm-hmm. So, what does that mean then? They partake. They partook of the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, then you notice that uh, that God shows up immediately before Satan. Presumably, this is presumably, but yeah. he would. You would imagine because given how these trees work together and what they represent, he was intending to then give them the fruit of the tree of life. But God shows oh, up, yeah. thwarts that plan, and uh, and sets things right, and and introduces the Adam and Eve to the idea of mm-hmm. now we'll give you covenants. <laughs> now that you've fallen mm-hmm. in consciousness, <laughs> right? We'll, well, give you so covenants that if you can, and, and not just yes, covenants and a savior. So when we okay, <laughs> so this is my part now. I know what this is all about. <laughs> it's about it's about re, it's about returning to God. So like. In a wonder, I'm sure Eve was so amazed and relieved, you know, that she wasn't just going to die, but um, that they gave a Savior, and they gave him a way back, you know, that included covenants and the atonement. Um, and when we think of repentance, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do to get back to God, right? Repent and keep our covenants. Yes. Repentance means return, returning to God. And um, everything in the gospel is, is an attempt to help us return to God. And and literally, though, that's that energy that, that fell to the lower chakras. We need to return it. We need to turn it up. <laughs> Not just turn around. Turn it up, which takes a great amount of energy. Um, and that is well, I wanted to... the challenge of... of being in a fallen state is like that, that moving that energy up and becoming spiritual in a world where we are, where even in our own bodies, like the tendencies yeah. are towards survival, fear, um, willpower, ego, things like that. And that's where the covenants and the consciousness come in. The covenants give us a lot of power, which can help us to return to God and, um, and consciousness. You know, we have to be conscious, otherwise our energy just becomes completely drawn away and sapped away. Right. And I, I Did you want to talk about that? Yeah, I wanted to talk 
go back to the the state of innocence that they were in that Lehi talks about, knowing uh, no joy for they knew no evil. Now people consider uh, think say that to mean well then op- they were like you said little children and and opposition is yeah. what gives us uh, gives us the consciousness and that's that's true obviously by uh, scripturally, but I think maybe it's even a little bit broader. Um, and and both Second Nephi two and nine would point to this idea that the they were walking with God in the in a state similar to the, to before before they had bodies. Uh, they're still mm-hmm. little children, spirit children, but mm-hmm. the bodies were, of course, the next step in progressing. But in order to progress, they needed to to be able to have children. We've talked about that, and so when they when they fell. Um, Introducing opposites, and that's what the whole tree of knowledge was about, right? Understanding mm-hmm. that everything uh, has an opposite, and that's what that's what this mortal experience is, that is about, is putting us between, or in an equilibrium, originally, as we're born, an equilibrium between uh, good and evil, and these opposing forces, and, uh, and giving us the opportunity to choose away from the presence of God so the choice and the results thereof can be completely ours. That's agency and accountability. It can be completely ours, and thus we can receive the glory of whatever, whichever level of glory we choose. But another thing to, to, I think, point out here is the... Well, the choice is completely ours, but we're never completely alone. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> Either way. Okay. The idea of male and female being mm-hmm. complementary opposites necessary to uh, to making to creating life and and they as you come together in marriage they create a, a new entity a new whole mm-hmm. but with the fall everything what do you what do you think of I mean just conceptually in our society today when you hear the word, hear opposite it, it's it's the root of the word for crying out loud of opposing it's the same word mm-hmm. in right. competing and so. Uh, let's let's start with that. I want to know what your thoughts on because then the Lord says um, to Eve, says your sorrow in in uh, childbirth will be greatly multiplied and uh, your husband will rule over you. Now President uh, Kimball has uh, amended that, said uh, preside is probably a better word there. <laughs> but well, but why not- is there necess- is it necessary to designate? someone to preside, and I think it gets to this point of of comp- competing opposites. You've got to have established mm-hmm. order by mm-hmm. saying, okay, well, one's in charge. Okay, there's two ways of looking at opposites. Um, the word opposed is the root of one, and then I, I use, a lot of times I use the word polarity yeah. when I talk about it. Um, and I think that that opposites are necessary in this life, but um, polarity is probably a better word to describe what's going on between male and female. And there's a great power created when you have polarity. Um, but it's a perfectly balanced sort of polarity between Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. It allows for creation. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that <laughs> we do have, we do have some oppositeness in this world between men and women and some competition. But, um, again, I'm going to refer back to our book, The Gift of Giving Life. We talk about, um, another essay by Heather, we should have her on the show, um, about the two trees and the two veils and the two stewardships, the masculine and the feminine, yeah. and how they are, they're not opposite, but they're complementary, yes. and one needs the other. It's like the yin and the yang. Like, you can't really have one without the other, you know, if there is an imbalance, then things get all messed up. But just like we had, we had two trees, there's also two veils, the veil we 
come through in this life or to get into this life, mm-hmm. and then the veil we pass through to go back into the presence of God. And, um, you know, it may seem like Adam presided over Eve, you know, or Adam's in charge, and men have the priesthood, and they, they it's sort of a patriarchal system in this life, yeah. right? Because men sort of preside over that second veil at the temple, the veil we pass sure. through, right. go back in the presence of God. But, um you know, our our theory, or, or Heather's theory, and, and some other people, is that there's the veil that we pass through to get into this life, and, and that women tend to be stewards over that veil, they you know? Are, I mean, we, yes. Like, the womb is the veil, or it could be considered as a veil, because we, it's it's what we pass through, and um, mm-hmm. women carry that within their own bodies. And so, there there is, there is a balance, even though it doesn't seem obvious. I, I believe that there's there's a balance between masculine and feminine in our stewardships. Now, Felice, this was, again, we had some issues getting this on the air this morning. Um, and so I haven't seen your notes on this, and we didn't collaborate as much on this particular topic. Well, I'm so, just yeah. totally winging it right now. I, that's, well, this, this, is, my notes. this is what I'm saying, <laughs> because I had hoped that you would say exactly, exactly what you said. <laughs> I threw out the Western culture's idea uh, uh, Opposites are opposing and competing, and we and we can see the the truth of that throughout all of our mortal lives, right? But there's mm-hmm. a corresponding idea that you identified that really it's really difficult to find it uh, in our in our Western culture. It just really is. Uh, it doesn't have anyway. But you brought it out of the out of the East. The idea of the yin and the yang. Mm-hmm. Uh, some Native American cultures have the same thing. And complementary opposites they can't have mm-hmm. one without the other. To, together and combined, they create something new. They they create, period. They create. Yeah. That's the whole point. And mm-hmm. that's what we don't find a lot of, and I think why we trip over the story of the fall so often. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the two veils, and I've, I've heard that number of places conceptualized in different ways. But you mm-hmm. think about Eve was the one, she played the role, in fact, of Christ in giving the fruit to Adam. She was the first to enter mortality. And presided over that veil, and women continues to do that. Do that, and there is nothing just because of its universality uh, of birth. There is nothing less sacred about it. Woman mm-hmm. presides over that side, and the first shall become the first to be last, and the last to be first. And therefore, uh, I think I don't think this is all of it, but part of it certainly. And the males are given responsibility for for presiding over the veil back the other way, back to Father at the end of this mm-hmm. life. And and right, well, it and makes but not so all much males. Sense. Like only priesthood, worthy priesthood males. Whereas all women are given exactly, and I think that's I think that could be key as well in in signifying the uh, innate gifts and uh, and nature of of the feminine in this life and of women. Just how mm-hmm. how advanced you people are spiritually. <laughs> well, Honestly. we are advanced. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. yeah, we are advanced. I mean, women are amazing. <laughs> But um, that is also, I believe, why we are in this life, there needs to be a balance, you know, and why Adam was given, you know, the role of presiding, because he needed to um, to have his turn to learn and grow and develop Absolutely. and become... become um, Eve let out, know? and now it's his turn. We get... Yeah. Um, I think I may have mentioned this on a previous podcast, but I love Elder Maxwell's quote about we're in the middle of a three-act play. We're in the second act 
of a three act <laughs> play, and, a, and it really is essentially an internal infinite play, but at least three acts of the of the plan here. And you can't possibly hope to understand it if you're only gonna gonna look at the second act. Yeah, <laughs> like any play. And if we're just here, we're trying to interpret everything we know by what we're experiencing right here in, in this life right now. Which is pretty messed up. <laughs> That's not going to make any sense at all. Yeah. Yep. So I wanted to, anyway, there's lots more to get to on that, but I think a little discussion on the roles of the, of the genders and that they're not the same, but neither is inferior, and they, they, they move back and forth throughout the course of the plan. Uh, to accomplish essentially, to accomplish ultimately, um, mm-hmm. our father's children becoming like him, which is creators, and, and mm-hmm. it takes obviously both to do that. So, anyway, did you want to? Yeah. Where did you want to go from there? Okay. Well, we can talk a little bit more about creation. I think I think creation is what it's all about. I mean, it's this is sort of our testing, our test. You know, we can we get to play with these powers a little bit, um, and that's why I think the power of creation of like creating a child, you know, the sexual, all that stuff is so, um, Satan tries to use that to get us to misuse that divine power in this life. But also there's, there's creation of, of things, of art, of, you know, books and, um, gardens and all all forms of creation, I think are, uh, an attempt to be like God. And I think that that is really beautiful. It's his children practicing. Yeah, um, but I, I, it's so sad because it's sort of the, in, in, in our current state, you know, where the world is right now, like that is the one thing that, you know, everyone's like, yeah, art is great. Let's support the arts. But how many people really support the arts, <laughs> you know, yeah. like how much of that is really supported? And most people really like, um, are just asleep all the time, you know, like they're on Facebook, they spend a few minutes, a few seconds. Like, you know, oh, that's a nice painting, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like there's just, most people are, are just trying to survive, you know, like there's just not a lot of room right now for beauty or for creation or um, change, like actual returning to God. These things that will uplift us and move us, um, they're, they're not, they're not doing it anymore because people don't have energy. That's a, so I guess I want to talk a little bit about energy that's and the energy point. it takes. Yeah, do that. Because we okay. we gave the last week or last time, uh, last podcast, you gave the um, addiction meditation. I'm doing it with my thumbs right now. You can see. Yes. <laughs> Try to get the word out. The addiction meditation uh, for those the who... The meditation are, for healing addiction. There you Let's go. be clear. <laughs> That's a good... Yeah, make, get those those words right. That's a good point. Um, and, and that's... This is uh, something I've had discussions about with people this week. Is look, you can't. Um, you, you said most of us are in total survival mode most of the time, and mm-hmm. um, we always talk about, well, that just pushed me over the edge. Whatever it is, whatever it is, right? I mean, I, I'm coming on very little sleep this morning because my eight, twenty-month-old was in our bed last night, and I was literally on the edge of the bed all night long and not <laughs> sleeping very much. But you can't be pushed off the bed, off, off the bed, off the edge. If you're not close to the edge, and it's it's the amount we talked about energy healing or whatever last time. How about just conceptualizing energy as the energy to get up and do in the morning, and do the yeah. things that you want to do or you know you should do, whether it's reading the scriptures or your sadhana or uh, exercising or whatever, or you know talking nice to kids and 
we find mm-hmm. we find often we don't do what we know we should, and then and then beat ourselves mm-hmm. up as to why. But it starts with the energy levels, and I think that's yeah. where you're going. Yeah, energy is everything, you know, and um, we need we need energy to return to God because it's an up level. You know, like walking up the steps takes a lot more energy than just turning around. <laughs> and it used to be, you know, it used to be that a lot of the, the tools that we had were enough, you know, like reading scriptures and like pondering the stars and, and, and all these great things. But now um, everything out there, whether we know it or not, is sapping our energy away. You know, yeah. Satan, has, Satan has his tendrils and everything. And if he can get us to be asleep, then he can just drain it away without us even knowing. You know, like if we're on Facebook all the time and running around to 12 different soccer games on Saturday, and there's just, there's no... There's no time to replay. There's no, there's no spiritual energy. Yeah, like, so so what we need is an energetic technology to raise the energy up. And there's lots of different energetic technologies out there, but they all require being conscious. <laughs> like um, the meditation that I teach is a, probably, a, I think, is one of the most powerful energetic technologies. But there's others too. But um, I would love to share a little bit about a simple tool um, that everyone has, <laughs> everyone can use. So do you think, is now a good time to jump into that, Annie? Absolutely. Just to, I want, before you do that, you want to reiterate real quick, um, because we talked about the the fall and then mm-hmm. the covenants that re, that that make the power available to us to uh, to transcend mm-hmm. that fall, and all that comes from what he gave at the same time as the covenants, the Lord that is, and that is introducing the concept of a savior, mm-hmm. uh, which shall redeem. And, uh, and and the, so the role of Christ in this energy healing, like all of this, all this energy is... Mm-hmm. is well, it's the light of Christ. It's the light of Christ. But we need to turn that... And it's also our true divine self. Right. We need to turn it up. And we need covenants to do so. Covenants are one of the biggest levers um, that we have. Really. And protection. Um, if we can go to the temple once a week, or you know, if we go to the church once a week and take the sacrament and renew our covenants, it will, you know, grant us so much protection. Because um, a lot of a lot of what we're doing is not just survival. We're 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 being battered at all sides, kind of by satanic attacks that we don't even realize, you know. Right. But if we can have that protection, that'll grant us more energy. Um, and but then there's something more. We can use our bodies, which are temples in um, amazing ways because the mind, body, and spirit are all connected. And so if we can use our bodies um, as well as the covenants um, with this, use the energy in our bodies, um, it can help. It can, it can blend that power that we have also with the covenants that we make, right? Yes, and it takes a conscious decision by us to do so. That's what agency requires. Right. To move into something, to accept it. To open ourselves right. up to accept it. And, and this is the age of experience, and we can't just think about it. We have to actually do something. <laughs> right. So um, the tool I'm going to give you, it's very it's a physical tool. Like, you're going to use your body, and you're going to use your conscious mind. It's another breath tool. Like I said, the, 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 um, the breath is the one system in the body that's conscious and unconscious. And so this breath is called breath of fire. Um, it's one of the foundational breathing techniques in kundalini yoga um, but you can just do it by yourself and and what it is um, it releases all kinds of toxins 
and deposits um, from the body, as well as emotional toxins. And it expands the lung capacity, um, strengthens the nervous system through resistance stress, which is a big part of everything. The nervous system, um, in some of the early works by Parley P. Pratt and Joseph Smith, they talk about the nerves um, as sort of like this, the nerves have the ability to transmit the spiritual juice. <laughs> that's a literal, I think that's an actual quote. But what they're talking about is they're talking about energy transmitting from one person to another and through and from God to us. Okay, so the nervous system is really important. I'll try to find that quote. And strengthening um, the nervous system is what gives us these energy reserves that we're talking about. That, yes. That when and you have, a, can I just say this, Felice, that when, yeah. you, when you have these, and I'm from my personal experience, what you're, Pardon? Well, from my personal experience in, in oh, yeah, doing this technology, when you have these energy reserves, what you mm-hmm. know you should do and what you want to do, what you intend to do, becomes suddenly really easy. It's the like, Taoists it's like, talk about a flow, and, and that's what it is. It just suddenly happens because mm-hmm. you have the energy to do it. <laughs> it's a, a large ship is benefited by a very small helm, right. and it just becomes so easy. You just kind of tap things in the right direction, and then they go. And it's because people don't understand that we have this amazing, huge reserve of energy within the body, but most people never unlock it. Like, it's always stuck. Like, it's like having a Ferrari and driving it around in first gear. Right. <laughs> you know, and so I'll, I'm going to give you a little tool that can help you um, raise that up. So breath of fire, it's basically a rapid, rhythmic, and continuous breath, and it's equal on the inhale and the exhale, and there's no pause between them. And so I usually teach people by telling them to put one hand on their, their belly and the other hand on their diaphragm and to just pant like a dog just to, to see what it feels like. So stick your tongue out and pant like a dog, <laughs> kind of like that. Mm-hmm. But then you close your mouth. And you do it through the nose. <laughs> and you'll feel the navel, the navel sort of pumps on the exhale. The navel pumps in on the exhale. And it's powered from the navel point. And the exhale, you don't really think about the inhale. The exhale just kind of, the inhale just kind of comes in. Um, but they're equal, inhale and exhale. <laughs> and because... Um, we're using the navel. We are also strengthening the, second, the third chakra, which is all about um, willpower, self-esteem, ego, and it balances it so that because if that chakra is unbalanced, you'll have either crazy desires for power or no no willpower. No willpower you know, or motivation at all. Yeah. So there's so many benefits to breath of fire. I can't even go into them all here, but I have already uploaded a PDF of how to do it and the benefits and some of the common mistakes. Nice. Onto zionconsciousness.com and added a new tab called tools. And there I've, I put all the tools for each week. But, um, so speaking sort of chakra wise, what this, what this breath does is it pushes the energy up from the lower chakras to the higher chakras. And after three minutes of this breath, your pituitary gland will start to secrete. Well, it starts to secrete right away, but it takes about three minutes to get the, um, all those secretions all throughout the body, and you'll start to feel really, really good. It also makes you look really cute. <laughs> it makes you look good or handsome um, because it does all kinds of great things for your, your skin and your radiance and your glow. It makes you look younger. Um, I do want to say it. Okay. Go ahead. I just got a oh, couple of things here with it. Um... I, I used to something I used quite a bit when I first started because when I first started Kundalini, I was getting ready to uh, be a donor for my sister, 
mm-hmm. blood mineral donor. And one of the things that the breath of fire does is purifies the blood. Absolutely. Um, I've got a, so I have a, a note on my phone of everything that it, it does, and it's way long, and I won't read it. You said there's all kinds of things. But some of the things for folks, strengthens shaky nerves, increases physical mm-hmm. endurance, um, produces a global alpha rhythm in the brain when practiced correctly. It reduces the voltage of the nervous system, stimulates the solar plexus to release natural energy throughout the body. This is harnessing in, in, uh, in ways that you can do other ways, but harnessing the power of the atonement to address the effects of the fall. And I, don't, I hope folks aren't uncomfortable with that idea. I think this is exactly uh, one of these technologies that does that. And if well, you God combine said, it with covenants. Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is within you. He said that. And, and our right. solar body is a temple. So if we can use our body in, um, in useful ways, it's, it's, and blend all that with our temple covenants within our own body, within the kingdom of God in our body, um, I think it's a really powerful combination. Within our and, own temple, yeah. Yeah. And so it also boosts the immune system and can prevent disease. So every time I feel like I'm getting anything, I just put my hands across my heart or, or, or wherever, you know, and um, do breath of fire for about seven minutes. Mm-hmm. And it just kills it. I don't, I don't, I rarely if ever get sick. Once in a while I get a headache, but I haven't had a an illness in a really long time. Yeah. And this is so, a couple of practical points on this. It's um, just from from my experience, it's not hyperventilating. No, <laughs> it's from, it's, it's lower. It's, it's, if you, if you start to get dizzy, when, when people first begin practicing, they may be toxic and cause it's releasing toxins, they might get dizzy. And if that's the case, they need to just stop, just do one minute and then rest, you know, um, but yeah, it's not hyperventilation. You want to do it from the lower. You're pumping your from, navel. From the navel, yep. And the other part is when I first started, first did it, I had to keep my hand on my stomach because I was, I don't know what you call it. You've got a word for it, but the reverse you, breathing. Were you, oh, you were paradoxical breathing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty common. And this is the breath that usually um, exposes that. <laughs> I, I had a, I taught a woman for a long time in a yoga class, and she would never really do the breath fire because she was, um, recently had a baby, you know, and was letting that area, whatever, rest. Yeah, you know, do not do breath of fire when you're pregnant. Um, also, if you're on your moon cycle, women, um, it's best to just let things flow downward. You don't want to do any raising the energy up during that time. So, but yeah, so she finally started to do it, and she was like, "There's something wrong." And I said, well, "You need to." Um, so, paradoxical breathing is actually pretty common. Um, it's when people breathe backwards. They inhale by pulling the belly in, yeah. thus making the space for the breath less rather than more. And when, um, what's, when your stomach goes in, your diaphragm is going up and thus reducing the capacity of the lungs. That's what yeah. should happen on the exhale. Yeah, it actually is really common. And um, people who smoke have this pattern, but lots of people have this pattern because they, they do a lot of chest breathing. But if you can fix it, like it took her a few days of consciously breathing all day to just kind of like she just focus on it throughout the day and be like, okay, what am I doing? She finally switched it and got it right. And, um, she said, my whole life has changed. <laughs> and then I've heard this from other students too. Like they finally switched their breathing. And one of my students said, I woke up happy today. That hasn't happened in like 10 years <laughs> and I'm waking up happy. And, and it's really, <laughs> really a simple so thing. So what's the key? How do you focus on changing that? What do you do? Um, it just takes practice. 
like anything, you know, there's no magic here. It just takes practice. And, and then just, eventually. Well, I, what I meant is I guess you're. Just place a hand on the, the on the chest and the belly. Right. And do it slowly with total awareness. So you're breathing into your stomach as you. As you inhale, you're filling your lungs, which pushes the diaphragm down, which makes your stomach expand more than your chest. Well, both. I mean, it depends on whether you're, what kind of breath you're going to be. Yeah, you're, first your, your, your chest fills, and then your belly fills, and then it empties. In and breath of fire, though, it's more rapid. Yeah. <laughs> but you can do it. Um, you can do it slower as you're learning. So just keep one hand on your belly and and try it out. And it's awesome. That's what I had and to that, do. I had to just yeah. um, keep a hand on my stomach and, and do it a little bit slower so I could mm-hmm. make sure that the exhale was uh, I was pushing the stomach in and the diaphragm up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that's my tool. That's feel, an, free to, feel free to use it as often as necessary. It's an excellent one. Um, I'm just going to read a couple more of these. Generates heat and increases your level of energy by activating the energy flows in the body. Releases toxins, you've mentioned that, and deposits from lungs, mucus lining, blood vessels, cells. Helps you regain <laughs> control in a stressful or a stress or survival situation. Changes mm-hmm. your aura and circumvents force to give you greater protection against negative forces. Synchronizes your mm-hmm. entire system under one rhythm. And on and on and on. There's, I've, there's three more mm. pages of them. Well, the, the lower third or lower fourth of the lungs is... Almost most people don't ever clean that out. Like it's just so full of stale air because people don't breathe deep enough. And that's also people don't realize it, but that's where we store a lot of our emotional baggage mm-hmm. is in that lower third of the lungs. There's a lot of grief that's held there. Um, also, you know, some of those ex-boyfriends that you just can't get out of your thoughts. Or They're there. Fred, yeah, or girlfriends, you know, Fred is in the third, is in the bottom third of your lungs. Breathe him out, right? <laughs> It really will clear. I mean, it's amazing what it will do emotionally. So, and um, that can give us the power to to do some of this good stuff. To get the energy. This, these are ways that we can address the effects of the fall, um, and ways to and, and, and get up in the morning. And to get up in the morning, <laughs> ways to, to help us give us the energy to keep the covenants we have made and thus be blessed by them. Well, did you, I want to, for the folks, uh, did we uh, book somebody for next week? Or is that kind of up to the um, That's still a secret, but we may okay. have a guest for next week. <laughs> still a secret. <laughs> All right. Well, fantastic. Thank you, Felice, as always. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll join you again next week. Satnam. Satnam.